still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every And singing has just been beautiful this morning, hasn't it? So good to see everybody. I, I can't help but just make a few comments before I get into my lesson regarding the crowd that is with us this morning. We are certainly blessed with many of our own family, and it's so good. It's been two years. This is two years. It's so good now after two years to see this building filled again. And uh, Corey, good to see you. Good to see Corey and his family, and it's just good to see everybody uh, who is a part of our family in Christ here with us today. We also have many visitors with us today, and it's such a thrill to have you, and it's with that in mind, I want to just give a couple of shout-outs. Uh, the first, first goes to uh, Josh and Lacey Beth Sanders, who are back here, uh, visiting with us today. They were just wed a few days ago. Uh, they are actually the children of friends of Cheryl and I growing up. And uh, Josh, it was actually in your dad's apartment. I was doing laundry this time of year during March Madness that Cheryl and some of her friends came down uh, from Auburn. They were so obnoxious uh, when they came in. That was the very first time we met. I'm doing laundry, doing homework, and they're on spring break. Uh, but so, Josh, Lisa Beth, God bless you. Good to have you with us this morning. Uh, some other dear friends of, of ours, uh, Bob and Cindy DeForest are back here. Uh, they are from the Melbourne congregation, and they know and knew Miss Junie very, very well. So they have a tie to this family of Christ, certainly through the Lloyds. They've been very dear friends of ours through the years, and they these past two years have been watching our family in Christ, have been worshiping with us regularly, participating uh, in the Bible studies, and uh, it's just a thrill. They just wanted to come see everybody they've been worshiping with. So they came all the way from Melbourne to be here this morning, so God bless them. And then I just certainly need to say how much of a joy it is for me to see Joyce Jamerson this morning. And uh, Joyce and Frank have had just a massive impact on my life. And I, I couldn't help but think this morning, uh, I was at Florida College, I had two years of school, I had no money, had no real life ambition, so what do you do? I think I'll try preaching. Uh, that's kind of, you know, and uh, my roommate uh, was actually going to church at Seminole, Frank was there holding a meeting, and Frank just said, hey, I'm looking for anybody to come preach for us in a training program, I can't find anybody, in other words, the cupboard is bare, so bare, he was actually willing to consider me. Uh, that's how bare it was. My roommate came home and said, hey, this guy, Frank Jamerson, you probably don't know him, but he's looking. I went to church the next night there, met Frank, and then Frank came by the dorm room the next day and said, hey, I'll take you. And I was like, you haven't even heard me preach, man. What are you talking about? Uh, what was he thinking? And that may still be what Joyce is thinking. What was he thinking? Uh, but just means so much to us. So it's, it's neat having all my worlds from many different times coming together this morning. What a blessing 
that is. And it's just a blessing to be in the family of God, isn't it? It's just a blessing to be in the family of God. For the past few weeks, we've been focusing our attention upon a text that you find in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And we understand that this admonition from Paul was something that was to be shared with all the churches and with all Christians for all time, because that's what we do. It's one of the many things that we do when we come together as a family in Christ. We come together to equip one another, to give one another the tools that we need for holy and righteous living, to give ourselves the tools that we need to be evangelists, to be ambassadors, to be workers in the kingdom of God. For our Lord did not call us to just come and sit on a pew. He's called us to action. He's called us to take up arms and to fight in his kingdom. And so one of the things that we do is we equip one another to be ministers and servants. And so that's been the focus of our attention the past few weeks. It begins with humility, then it moves with compassion, and then it does great things. And this ministry relies upon a body like no other, a body that is filled with love and faith. In other words, every single one of us are in this wonderful work together. Today, we're going to step aside from just the idea of the equipping and that initial focus. And I want us to look at what is the first mission field for all Christians. One of the conversations that Cheryl and I had when we decided, okay, we're going to go into this full-time preaching thing and, and this is really going to be our focus we had to sit down and think really long and hard, how's this going to affect our children? I mean, what's the proverbial thought? Oh, what are you, preacher kids. Look out for those preacher kids. We didn't really want to rear preacher kids in the way that sometimes people think about it. And one of the challenges that comes with ministry, no matter what ministry you're in, it's, it's easy to be so caught up in the good work of ministry that you spend all your focus seeking to save the world and others, and you lose your own kids. That was not a sacrifice that we wanted to make. Granted, all children are going to have to make their own decisions. Every child has free will, and every child eventually is going to have to stand on their own faith. But I wanted to know, and Cheryl especially wanted to know for certain, that we gave it every, every ounce of energy we could to make sure our children came first. And I believe that's a biblical pattern. I believe the biblical pattern is for us to begin with our own faith, then the faith of our family, then reaching out. In Ephesians chapter 6 and in verses 1 and 2, the apostle Paul gives instruction regarding this first mission field. And here's what he says. He says, children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is Right. I want you to remember that phrase. Please remember that phrase. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents who are guiding you in the Lord. Parents who are leading you in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is 
right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with promise. In fact, if you think back to the Old Testament and you go back to the Ten Commandments, that, that was the ten, one of the Ten Commandments. Honor, and it was the reason was, listen to your parents, honor your parents, so that it may go well with you in the land. In other words, if you don't honor your parents, your life's going to be hard. There's a wonderful promise that comes with listening to godly parents. It is a commandment that offers a great promise. So Paul reiterates that here. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's your first mission field, parents. It's your first mission field. Now, let me just make a quick note before we get into the lesson. I realize everybody here doesn't have children. I realize that. And while this instruction here is specifically given to families, parents, and children, I want you to make sure you make the application to your own faith in those that you're influencing, whether it's a spouse if you're married or if it's a grandparent to your grandchildren or if you are single to just those around you. I want you to, because the same applications are going to apply. Many places that we could go to really preach this lesson and build on this instruction that Paul has given. But I'd like for us to emphasize this by going to a story in the Old Testament you have probably never heard before. Not because you're not a good Bible student and not because you haven't been listening to preaching your whole life. It's just one of those stories in Scripture that really doesn't get a lot of attention. But the guy in the story is probably one of the greatest fathers of all time. If you think back to your Old Testament history, you don't really go to King David to learn about being a good parent. Would that be fair? He may have been a guy after God's own heart, but let's just be honest. The guy struggled greatly with parents. You don't even really need to go to Abraham. Probably not the best example. You probably don't even need to go to many of the patriarchs in the Old Testament. But there are some individuals that just jump out at you. One is Asaph. Asaph, the chief musician of Jesus. What's always said of Asaph and his descendants is that they were always walking with the Lord. And anytime there was a restoration, bringing the people back, no matter what the king was in the southern kingdom, it was the sons of Asaph who were leading the devotion. Boy, that guy was a great father. But here's another one. I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings chapter 10. The historical context here is actually a very challenging and really it's a sad time in the history of Israel. We're in the northern kingdom now, if you know your Bible history. The northern kingdom is split from the southern kingdom, and they have had decades of horrendous leadership. And not just bad leadership, they've had the worst leadership that has ever been upon the earth. And I don't say that as a preacher exaggeration story. Ahab and Jezebel have been the king and the queen of the northern kingdom. That's bad. There's no kids today named Ahab that I know of, right? 
Nobody names their daughter Jezebel, probably for this reason, all right? You run away from it. Even if you're not a church-going person, you know those names, you know their wickedness. At this point in the story, they're gone. They've been killed. And God has appointed another man to come and to take leadership in the northern kingdom. And Elisha himself has gone to Jehu and has anointed him as the king and is giving him the command, now that Ahab and Jezebel are gone, I want you to clean up all the other wickedness that has been in the kingdom with them. Everybody who has supported them, everybody who's participated in their wickedness, all the prophets, all those who were uh, sponsoring them, working them, I want you to take them out. Clean it out. Clean out all the wickedness. And if you know anything about the history of Nahab and Jezebel, it was wicked. This brings us to our character. Verse 15, 2 Kings 10. And when he had departed from there, this is Jehu, who's been commissioned by the Lord. He met with Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and he said to him, is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? And Jehonadab answered, it is. And Jehu said, if it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and Jehu took him up with him into the chariot and he said, come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. You see the Lord's all capitalized in your text. That means what? Jehovah, the name of Jehovah. So he had him ride in his chariot, and when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. That's it. <laughs> That's all you got of this guy. See why you haven't heard of him? <laughs> That's it? Oh. Now, is this a parenting lesson? Where are you going with this, all right? The rest of the story of Jehonadab is actually in Jeremiah. So I want you to go over now to Jeremiah chapter 35, all right? We, all we heard here is there was this guy named Jehonadab. He was commissioned by Jeho, uh, Jehu to ride with him. And it's as if Jehu says, all right, I want you to see something here. I want you to see, I want you specifically to see I'm cleaning up the place. I'm following what the Lord said, and I'm going to clean up the place. That's it. When you get to Jeremiah 35... You really get the rest of the story. Now, this is 200 plus years later. And we're not in the northern kingdom anymore. This is actually the southern kingdom because the northern kingdom has already been taken away in Assyrian captivity. That northern kingdom, as you know it, is gone. What's kind of sad about Jehu, he started out real good. He didn't finish well, all right? If you remember your kings in your Bible class, all the faces around the borders and the wall, anybody have any realized he had a frowny face? One of all those. That was one. He was a bad king. Right. Started out good, didn't stay there. Northern kingdom, all bad kings, eventually carried away in captivity. 250 years later, the history brings us now to the southern kingdom, which is wicked. In fact, so wicked 
God has the Babylonians at their doorstep ready to come in and to take them away. Jehoiakim is the king, but he's barely the king on the throne because Judah is consumed with idolatry, selfishness, godliness, and pride, just like in the days of Ahab. And so God asked Jeremiah to do something crazy. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go to the Rechabites. That would be what? The family of Jehonadab. And I want you to offer them to come to the temple and drink wine. What? Follow along in the story with me. We're in verse 5. So, Jeremiah, I set before the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. But they answered, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, you shall not drink wine, neither you nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You shall not plant or have a vineyard, but you shall live in tents all your days that you may live many days in the land where you sojourn. We've obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us to drink no wine all our days. Ourselves, our wives, our sons, our daughters, we have not built houses to dwell in. We have no vineyard, no field, no seed, but we have lived in tents and we have obeyed and done all that Jonadab, our father, commanded. But when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came up against the land, we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and the army of the Syrians. So we are living in Jerusalem. Did you catch something there? Anybody know who your granddad is? Anybody, can you name your granddad? You name your granddad? Probably can. But, but Papa John and Papa, that was their names, right? All right. Melvin Robertson you know, and John Dottie, I remember. Can you name your great-granddad? <clears throat> I have to really think here. I know it was Baker uh, and Foster Robertson. Can you, can you name your great-granddad? How about your great-great-granddad? Whoa. Yeah, pretty good chance you never met them, you know. Great-great-granddad, great-great. Generations, generations, 200-plus years of generations. They knew Jonadab. And they listened to his wisdom. And here's, here's what you really find when you get to the rest of the story is, is that Jonadab was a radical parent. He recognized and understood, and maybe that's why Jehu was reaching out to him, this guy's different, and I want to show this guy that I'm really coming back to the Lord, because he knew Jonadab was different, and so he went to him, because Jonadab was not the guy that would have done anything that Ahab and Jezebel would have wanted. He would have run from it. He would have been honoring the Lord. He's possibly, he's possibly one of the guys that when the Lord actually spoke to Elijah years earlier, when Elijah was all depressed, I'm the only one, and the Lord said, you know... You know, there's 7,000 in the land. It possibly could have been him and his family. I don't know. But here's what you do know. This man was faithful, and his impression upon his family was so strong in that hundreds of years later, they were obeying 
their father in the Lord, and it was radical. Why, why go to such lengths to say no wine at all? Well, because he realized that that was always going to be a part of the pagan uh, mindset around him. Why no vineyards? Because the vineyards are producing the wines and you don't want to be anywhere needed. It's, uh, it's near it. It's not going to lead to anything good. Why not live in the cities? Why does he tell them to live in tents? Because when you're in the cities, there's no telling what you can get associated with. You need to have some separation in your life. And if you really think about it. Can I just make a point here? Have you not noticed that more often than not in the rural communities, there seems to be more of a focus on God and conservative moral values than maybe sometimes in the cities? Just a point. Not going to harp on it. But John Adab says, you know, I've seen this, folks, and I'm telling you, you got to be radical. You got to be radical. Why now is God saying to Jeremiah, go get these radical folks and see if they're going to drink some wine? Why is he making this point now? Why is he going to this radical clan and saying, all right, see if they're going to drink it? Well, he knew they weren't going to drink it. Why do it now? Notice, if you would, a little later in the text in verses 12 and following. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction and listen to my word, declares the Lord? Command Jonadab, the son of Rechab, no, sorry, the command, notice, the command that Jonadab, the son of Rechab, gave his sons to drink no wine has been kept. And they drunk none to this day, for they've obeyed their father's command. I have spoken to you persistently, to you, all my servants, through my prophets, persistently saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way, amend your deeds, and do not go after the other gods to serve them, and that you may dwell in the land that I've given to your fathers, but you did not incline your ear to me. You see what God's doing? He's saying, would you look at these people? They've listened to their father. He was a radical teacher. He said, don't even drink any wine at all. Don't even live it. They listened to him. But you people won't listen to me, and I'm your father. And I'm not just any father. I'm your heavenly father. Why won't you listen to me? In verse 18 after the Lord finishes his condemnation of the people. And Judah's headed to captivity too, right? Because of their wickedness. But to the house of the Rechabites, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you've obeyed the command of Jonadab your father and have kept all his precepts and done all that he commanded you, therefore says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab, shall never lack a man to stand before me. Isn't that a powerful testimony? God said, I'm going to use this guy and his family as an example of how all of you should be living. They honored their father. Why won't you honor me? To me, this is a great father. 
Because years later, his descendants are not just listening to him, but notice what the Lord said at the end. You're never going to lack anyone in your family serving me. I want to give you four applications to this lesson. This is for parents, all right? But if you don't have children, I want you to make an individual application. I think there's four lessons that you, run, you learn here from this great parent. Number one is this. Be radical. Be radical. Anybody here have a dad who loved to make fun of you? Anybody have one of those dads? Oh, man, my dad loved that. He loved to let you out in front of the school and yell at the top of his lungs, I love you, boy. Loved it. He loved to yell when you get up to bat at a baseball game and you're all real nervous because it's a big game. He would yell, don't embarrass the family, son. My dad loved that stuff. He was weird. He was weird. I never did that, Gray, right? I never did it. I've embarrassed you, but not quite like that. Godly parents don't care what the world thinks of their parenting. Godly parents don't care if they're radical and what they're doing is for the sake of their children. Godly people don't care if what they do is totally different from the rest of the world. Let me tell you what's radical. Listen to this. This is the words of Jesus. This is radical. Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's radical. That means live daily a sacrificial life. Live daily carrying that wonderful yoke with the Lord in honor to Him. Here's something else that's very radical. It comes straight from our text in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5 and in verses 1 through 2, the Lord says, Therefore be imitators of God. That's radical. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's all God wanted from Judah. Listen to me like these people listen to their father. Imitate me like they're wanting to imitate their father. They see and understood his wisdom. They understood the value in his teaching. Won't you listen to me? Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And if you go on in Ephesians chapter 5, if you keep reading in that passage, notice all the things that come with the warnings of walking with the world. Can I give you just a little opinion, just real quick opinion? One of our biggest fears, I think, with our parenting today is we don't want our kids to feel left out. I get it. We don't want them to feel left out of the sports, left out of the activities, left out of all the associate. We, we don't, I, and I get it. But sometimes we fought so hard to make sure our kids fit in and don't feel left out that there hasn't been a great distinction made of who we belong to. We belong to the Lord and not to the world. Jonadab and his family, there was a clear distinction. Now, can we make a couple of points here that need to be made? Nowhere in God's word did it say, thou shalt not drink wine. So we might think, well, Jonadab just made it up. He went beyond the word. And nowhere did it say you had to live in a tent the rest of your life. Jonadab just made it up. Now, here's the point. He saw the dangers 
in those things. And so he decided to be radical to keep his family away from the dangers that could be associated with those things. And you know what? Your kids may go, what? Your friends may go, what? I mean, how crazy is it? How crazy is it that you made your kids get up for Bible class on a Sunday morning? And it's spring break. What were you thinking? How crazy is it that when you're out of town, you not only look for a church, but you make that a part of your... How crazy is it that you make midweek Bible study a part? How crazy is it that when it comes to church activities, you're... How crazy is it? That the Lord and the church and service to the Lord is your excuse for not doing other things instead of the other way around. Radical. See, radical parents don't mind being radical because they understand, they understand what the Lord says when you listen to him through his servant Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, get out from among them. Don't go near any wicked thing. Yeah, you got to be in the world, but clearly separate from the world. Secondly, second thing, don't be afraid to be radical. Secondly, be wise. You know, Jonadab was clear, no wine. No wine. You see, he could see what happens to that kind of activity. And radical parents have the ability to look ahead. Uh, one of my favorite Proverbs is this, is Proverbs 3.26. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Well, it's very important to Cheryl and I, hey, preaching's a great thing, but you know what? There's a path here. And it doesn't mean we're great examples of parents. But one of the greatest blessings that I had in our preacher training program when I moved to Dothan and went straight, I went straight to their house when I got there and I lived with the Jamersons. They didn't really know me from Matt. Did y'all even talk to my mom? Or, you know, no, what, what were they thinking? But I lived with Frank and Joyce for six weeks. I lived with Taft and Margie Tomley for six weeks, another one of the elders. I lived with John and Becky Haley for six weeks. All right. I lived with all the elders. And I got to see their families and how they function. I got to see how they lived. And it was a learning process. And I got to see their marriage and understand. And, and I learned from them. Here's where things can lead to. Here's where things you remember. And so what you learn is, you learn, you know what? There, there, is, there is a reason that Christians are very cautious in the gray areas. You know, I really didn't say no. Yeah, but is it a wise thing to do? Is it a wise thing to do? I uh, was in a meeting in a college town like ours. And uh, ran into a friend that I'd known many years ago, and 
And I said, hey, what brings you here? Oh, my daughter, she's going to school here. Oh, she is. Well, she, I said, she's going to be living with Christian friends. She goes, no, 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 no. I said, oh, so she just moved. She's, well, she got an apartment. She's going to be near. No, no, no. And I kid you not, here's what she said. She goes, she's going to live in the dorms. And I said, with friends? No, she's going potluck. And I'm like, really? She goes, yeah, every child needs to experience the dorms once in their life. And I was like, okay. Inside, I was like, what are you thinking? Now, that's just my opinion. But where's the wisdom in that? Where's the wisdom in putting your child in an environment that is going to be challenging every single moment of the day to challenge their faith, to challenge their ethics, to challenge their morals? You surround yourself with good people. The Rechabites, descendants of Jonadab, years later said, you know what? That's pretty good advice. I know it's radical, but there's some wisdom in being separate. There's some wisdom in not drinking wine at all. Think through things. Anybody ever heard the old argument, where it may lead? That's not an obvious, well, okay, this settles it thing. But there is something to be said for where it might lead. That's fair. John had seen where things could lead. Be careful. So be wise. Be wise. Thirdly, thirdly, be involved. Be involved. You know what's amazing about John Adab is that twice Twice his descendants are kind of brought forth as, you want to look at these guys. What are they doing? Well, they're serving the Lord. You may not have heard about them. You may not know about them. They may not be it. But they're there and they're serving the Lord and they are involved. And what you found is they were highly involved in the lives of their families. You ever heard you can't choose your kids' friends? Well, that's only partly true. You can control their environment. Because like's going to attract like. And who they're attracted to is going to be not only a revelation of just who their associates are, but it's going to be a revelation of who they are. And we can control our environments to some degrees, can't we? We all know that principle. And so what we need to do is be involved in their lives. We need to be involved parents, involved in their teaching, involved in their training, involved in the molding of their heart. We need to be the ones who are instructing them and guiding them. Tara, our, our nation has recently had all kinds of turmoil and argument over a recent law that was passed in Florida about what can we teach children third grade and under. I get it. I understand all the political ramifications. I understand. But you know what? Who should be doing the most of the teaching and who should have most of the influence for a child, especially third grade and under? Parents. Us. And that shouldn't end at the third grade. In Bible times, the parents did the teaching. They did the training. They did the molding. They didn't always just send them off for somebody else to do it for them. And godly parents, can I just say something to all parents? We all make mistakes as parents. 
And a godly parent is never going to criticize another parent for making mistakes. You're going to say, how can I help you? And one of the greatest tools for me and Cheryl was that we got our children around every single one of you. And frankly, some of my, I'll just admit, my son would rather hang around some of you than me at times. And I'm good with that. Because I'm involved and I know you're involved in their lives. I had a, that actually happens often, but I had a good friend come to me and said, hey, I'm really concerned about some of my daughter's friends. What do you suggest? I offered no criticism. Absolutely not. I said, let's work on this together. I'll share some ideas and I'll talk to some other people and we'll see what we can do. But parents never give up. They never give in. You're involved. And if we can put that on an application level if you don't have kids, it's the same principle. Be involved with people who are involved with you. And then number four, this is what was amazing with Jonadab. Now, I, I have to confess, I'm not sure exactly how to do this one, but this guy had it. Be radical, be wise, be involved, be valuable to your children. Somehow the descendants of this man 250 years later saw value in his teaching and his instruction. I think what you find when you find parents who are really seeking to rear their children in the Lord and bring them up in the admonition of the Lord is that they've done well in teaching their children value. Here's what's really valuable. Here's what's really important. We'd gone to a leadership dinner once and we heard uh, Cal Ripken speak. Cal Ripken, man. All you older people out there in my generation, that was the man, the iron horse. I remember he spoke and everything else. And, and it was okay. He was good. He was still Cal Ripken. That was so cool. But before he actually spoke, uh, a gospel preacher was introduced who used to actually play in the major leagues, but was converted to Christ, Lindy McDaniel, and, and he was still a faithful gospel preacher, and, and he was just acknowledged by the crowd, and everybody said, you know, kind of say, he sat back down, and then everybody listened to Cal Ripken, and at the end of the dinner, I, I looked over to Gray, and said, you want to go meet Cal? He goes, no, I want to go meet Lindy. I was like, somebody just poured Gatorade all over me. I have won the Super Bowl. This is the greatest moment ever. Because Lindy McDaniel, was the guy all of us would want to meet. The value of godly people. The value of godly service. The value of heavenly riches over earthly riches. That's what you teach. 
And Jonadab got that across. So much so that his descendants years later were saying, you know what? Our father gave this instruction and we see some value in that. Proverbs often begin with, my son, listen to me. And the reason that's so important is a godly father offers the wisdom of the father. And that's why it's so valuable. Parenting's not for sissies, is it? <laughs> it ain't easy. But I tell you what, with the church, the Lord has given us wonderful tools, wonderful people, wonderful instruction that can help us in that first mission field. Let's take advantage of it. And go back to the words of Paul. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. It's right. Oh, to be a John and Dad. That guy was a good daddy, wasn't he? Let's listen this morning as we wrap this up, though, to our Heavenly Father as He speaks to all of us. Because ultimately, all of us as parents are simply stewards of our children. They belong to the Lord. And we want to give them back to the Lord. And we want to incline their heart to serve the Lord. And so we listen to the words of Jeremiah now as he says, Listen. Listen. Listen to the Father who loves you. Look at the Rechabites. They still listen to John about Won't you listen to your Father God? Constantly pleading. Constantly reaching. Constantly seeking us. And maybe this morning you realize you haven't been obeying your Heavenly Father. And it's time to make it right. Obey your Heavenly Father. For this is right on so many levels. It's salvation. He loved you so much, he sent his only son. There's great value there. And he offers you the inheritance that comes with being his child. If that's something you need to do this morning, you need to have your sins washed away in the blood of Christ. Or if you just need to have the prayers, your elders are going to be coming forward and maybe you just want to pray with your elders and spend some time together. Whether it's now or later, please let us know. But let's be the radical parents and the radical Christians we need to be in service to God. If we can help you in any way in your walk with the Lord, won't you come while we stand and sing. The Lord is in His holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence before.